Let's talk about one of my favourite things in the whole wide world, wine, with one of the very best in the business. Oz Clark is the king of wine writers. Of course, he has sent, um, the, spent the past couple of weeks wandering around this country of ours, reacquainting himself with our industry and grapes. Uh, he's also got his latest book out, Oz Clark's Story of Wine, 8,000 Years, 100 Bottles. And Oz Clark is with us. Good morning. Good morning, Mike. I have, I have followed you and admire you for years and years and years, and so it's um, a, a great delight to meet I, I was going to say, what a disappointment to see me in the flesh. Not, not even right. You, by the way, are looking wonderful. You're like an aged Bordeaux. <laughs> Tired, watery, <laughs> corked, undrinkable, <laughs> hardly fit for the dog. Yes, that's fair. Mike, I'm just off, if it's okay. Very Sorry I was going to have a chat to you, but not anymore. <laughs> you were here last time in 2016, correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, so seven-ish years since you've been. Have you seen tangibly a difference in the wine industry here? Uh I, th- I think that I've seen um, a bit of confidence coming back into Chardonnay, which is about time because New-, New Zealand makes fantastic Chardonnay, a lot of the best Chardonnay in the world. And the nice thing is every area makes it from Auckland right the way down to central Otago. You make a different Chardonnay to, to France, you make a different Chardonnay to Australia. Uh, you, you make There's that thing of New Zealand fruit. Mm. And I, I often say to the winemakers, don't be frightened of it. Don't be frightened of that that fruit. It's yours. It's mm. it's it's a it's a case of people would love to have the fruit that you have in New Zealand, and a lot of other producers don't. So I think I've seen a lot of that coming through. I've seen red wines, particularly from the twenty one vintage, um, best red wines I've seen. Um, twenty one uh, because it's that smaller vintage mm. and, and it's nice and ripe. The thing the thing about um, New Zealand reds is that because we're a cool climate area here, getting warmer. But we are still a cool climate area. A slightly smaller crop sometimes really focuses the flavours. And 2021, the, the Pinot Noirs uh, from 2021 are fantastic. The Syrahs, South Island Syrahs. Really? Not, not just North Island stuff. South Island. Marlborough's Syrahs in 2021. Uh, they don't all admit they make them, but quite a few of the wineries have got a barrel or two of Syrah. Just checking out whether with with climate change it's going to be the grape of the future. They're absolutely delicious. Fantastic. And sparkling wine, Mike. No. I thought, oh, I, I thought New Zealand sparkling wine had slightly gone into a, into a cul-de-sac and hadn't really gone anywhere in the last 10 or 15 years. Well, I had a, a, quite a big range of sparkling wines, uh, and I must admit I was amazed at the quality um, and they're quite different. Again, that's what I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that each time I'm able to say, hey, they're different from Champagne. Sure. The Pinot Noirs are different from Burgundy. The Chardonnays are different from Australia. They really are. And so uh, I must admit, I've been full of uh, excitement. I've been full of pleasure. The wines, I, you know, I'm, I was thinking, have I had a single red wine, for instance, which wasn't ripe? No, not one. But have I had an overripe red wine? About three. Wow. And you go to most countries and uh, you have about 50 overripe red wines. You keep saying, fellas, leave it off, will you? You know, Stop bashing the grapes to, to <laughs> hell and stop pulling all the stuff. They don't want to give you that much. Please don't try. And uh, that, those oak barrels, please spend your money on something else. Hey, take me out to lunch, but don't buy so many bloody new oak barrels. <laughs> So, so the, my general feeling is that, that, that the place is in a pretty, a pretty good. good state. And Sauvignon Blancs, every time you come to New Zealand, you think, I hope that they're, they're not going to start saying, oh, we're, we're tired of Sauvignon Blanc, we don't want to make it anymore. Well, what's interesting is that there's quite a lot of Sauvignon Blanc around, and there's clearly going to be more. Because uh, down in Marlborough, for instance, I saw a lot of replanting. And it was a pity, really, because they were pulling out things like Pinot Noir. And instead of saying, oh, let's put more Pinot Noir in, they were mostly putting in Sauvignon Blanc. Jeez. 
which I, I, I'd sort of rather they kept the Pinot Noir and the Chardonnay there because we have enough Sauvignon Blanc, but they sort of say, well, we haven't. Uh, we're, we're getting 20, 20, 21, 22, and now 23 in the British market in Northern Europe. We've seen a continual range of Sauvignon Blanc, which is really citrusy and, and slightly green leafy and green apple and, and bright and zesty for about four vintages now. Wow. And even with difficult vintages like, you know, 20, 22 and 23 are not the most easy vintages to, to deal with. Uh, we're getting a lot of people making Sauvignon Blanc, which tastes like Sauvignon Blanc. I, I, there's no point in making Sauvignon Blanc if it doesn't taste like it. We'll drink something else yeah. because there are other countries in the world that like to try and do what New Zealand does. It's, it's one not- of the most astonishing stories, the Sauvignon Blanc story, particularly into Britain, isn't it? I mean, for, for years, years and years, we've said it can't last. It will never last. People will yeah. tire of it, and yet it hasn't. Uh, they'll only tire of it when you start making second-rate Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. And that's why it's very important that the big companies and the bulk people who who, who send in the, the lower price stuff keep uh, the flavours there. And on the whole, the own labels that we get in the supermarkets in England at the moment are, are, are pretty good. There's a very good bloke in England who who runs the sort of the Indivin, in, the European end of Indivin, which is a big company, uh, and he's a really top fellow who always fights the corner for the consumer. Um, and he he goes he knows what the Waitrose consumers like he knows what the Tesco consumer like be a di- bit different the Sainsbury's those are our big supermarket yeah, sure. groups um, and and I have to say the Sauvignon Blanc is not gonna is not gonna fade away so long as you go on making it well good before I forget English wine who's making it is is it expanding and does it stand any real chance of being one of the great wine regions of the world especially with climate change. With climate change, uh, within the next 10 years, it's going to be regarded as one of the top cool climate regions in the world. Wow. Uh, it's already making sparkling wine mm. to equal leather champagne. Champagne's getting warmer. Mm. Champagne's making lots of good wine, but it's softer and rounder and riper than it used to be. So you just go over the English Channel. It's only 20 miles from France. And, and the, the soil in the southern England is exactly the same as the soil in Champagne. There's a thing called the Paris Basin a great big ring of limestone and chalk, which Champagne sits on that, and it's a great plateau. It's a ridge that runs to Calais, then over to Dover, then right the way across southern England, and then goes into the sea down in Dorset, comes up again in France. We've got as much of that soil as France has got, and, of course, everyone has said, oh, it's a bit bit too cold in in England. They reckon that England is about one degree colder than, than, say, Champagne. Sure. Um, and that champagne was just on the edge of being able to ripen, so we couldn't ripen. Well, champagne, in, uh, since about 1990, the, uh, the, the, the temperature in the ripening season in champagne's gone up by 2.4 degrees centigrade. So that means England is now easily yeah. as good as, as champagne was 20 years ago. The, so we're making stunning sparkling good. wine in England. The, the, do you make anything, or will you make anything else, or are you going to oh, be yes. limited to- I mean, would you make a Pinot, or is that just too risky? Uh, a couple of years ago, we made a Pinot Noir uh, natural alcohol of 14.7. 14.7. And people in England, I mean, this is something I thought I'd never hear, people in England complaining that the grapes are coming in too ripe. <laughs> and we've been making Chardonnays all over Kent and Sussex and Hampshire. The Pinot Noirs have started coming out of Essex. Wow. You think, Essex? You can't grow grapes in Essex. Muddy old, damp old Essex. 
Essex is the driest place in England, and it's got a, a sort of clay there, which is similar to the to the best clays in in Bordeaux. Wow! And you can you can make Pinot Noir and Chardonnay in Essex in 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 five years' time. People are going to be talking about the Crouch Valley in Essex uh, in the same kind of terms as they talk about special areas of Burgundy. Unreal. Now, listen, you raised climate, mentioned a couple of things, uh, a couple of times, the climate. So without being political, how dramatic do you think climate change is? And therefore, will you, you know, stop growing grapes or will the grapes simply taste different? Uh, It depends where you are. Uh, In New Zealand, I think the, the studies I've seen show that you are less vulnerable to climate change uh, than almost any of the other major nations and that you're better prepared. But there's no question that climate change is is, is making a difference in, in, in New Zealand. Places like Marlborough, places like Hawke's Bay, definitely making a difference. Mm. Um, in places like England, it's like the silver lining in a dark cloud because climate change is, is causing, as, as you know this year, mm. all kinds of extreme exactly. events. But an extreme event in England is going to be a lot less damaging than an extreme event in somewhere like France or Italy or Spain. And what we get is a completely different sort of rain now and followed by much warmer weather. We've been breaking the records for warmest day year after year in in England now. But it means that uh, climate change is pushing the chances of making uh, good wine in England further and further north. Yorkshire has now got 25 wineries. Yorkshire. I mean, Yorkshire's a cold place full of cold sort of boneheaded people, and it's got 25 wineries. But what's going to happen is the danger is many parts of of southern France, Spain, Mm. Italy, Greece, these sort of places, are going to really struggle with climate change unless they go back to the future, go back a thousand years and say what kind of grapes survived here a thousand years ago. There are lots of grape varieties around the Mediterranean which are, which are not fashionable, but they're still there. They're not fashionable because they're not called Cabernet Sauvignon, sure. not called Pinot Noir, not yeah. called Chardonnay, but they're there and they've been there for a thousand years and they can cope with drought and they can cope with extreme weather because they say, hey, we've been here a thousand years. We've seen it all before. Seen it, seen. Exactly. We need to get more and more wines made out of those ancient grape varieties and then you'll need to do less work in trellising and rootstock and all those technical things, which which can slow climate change down. I mean, one of the things one needs to do is allow the vine to make a bit more fruit. Mm. So many people go along with their secateurs and they clip off all the fruit. Well, hey, let the vine make a mm. bit more. It'll ripen slowly. At the moment, <laughs> sometimes in, in Bordeaux, for instance, you go down there. I've got a friend in, in, who's got a vineyard in Poyac, mm. which is a really yeah. good village in, in, in Bordeaux. And he, could, he said, can't make my wine taste proper. So he did a five-year experiment, and he said, okay, I, I did one lot of tr- pruning down to 30 hectolitres or, you know, that's a tonne or two. Then the next one was three tonnes, next tonnes, four tonnes, little bits of the vineyard. And he said, and then one bit of the vineyard, he said, do, let the vine do whatever it wants. And he said the worst wine each year in the trial was the smallest crop. And mostly the best wine was the biggest crop. You, so there are ways that nature will, will compensate, but that doesn't mean that climate change is not a massive, massive challenge. You know, I look at you, I mean, how much do you drink? Because you look... What, in, last look, night? Or? No, no, but just... Because <laughs> I always remember, Stephen Spurrier, uh, he claims he drinks a bottle a day, on average, over the years, for his whole life. He looks fantastic, you look fantastic. I drink, people tell me too much, and you've already told me I look fantastic. <laughs> what? So, so, so surely there's something in that. Well, traditionally... Uh, wine drinkers were generally regarded as a pretty healthy bunch. Uh, if you looked at the, the people who lived to over 90 in France, 
There are more of them in Bordeaux than anywhere else in France. And, and it may be that all these 95-year-old fellas are quietly pickling themselves in a bar. Well, maybe, <laughs> uh, but they seem look happy enough and they look healthy enough. Exactly. I, I, hey, it's, it's part of it's sort of the attitude you have. Mm. If, if wine gives you that kind of bolster to your, your sense of well-being, your, your sense of joy in life, yeah. I think it's a, it's a great addition to, to you living a long, if you're lucky, some people are not lucky, but if you're lucky, a long and healthy life. It served you well. I mean, has, I, mean, has, well. I, mean look I don't at, have time to grow old, Mike. No, I you just do don't have time. Fantastic. Come back again and we'll talk some more. Always good to see you. Appreciate it very much. Thanks, mate. Oz Clark and the book Oz Clark Story of Wine, 8,000 Years, 100 Bottles. For more from the Mike Hosking Breakfast, listen live to News Talk ZB from 6 a.m. weekdays or follow the podcast on iHeartRadio.